The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, here in Dallas, Texas, my home base. As the show airs December 23rd, we're doing a special segment to celebrate Christmas while also connecting my guest work to this holiday. But before we get into today's program, I want to thank my media and partner sponsor, Jobbing.com. If you're not familiar with them, Jobbing.com is the leading locally focused job board in the nation, and they're dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard while also giving job seekers control of their own search so they can find work close to home. Great partner for me. Thanks, Jobbing.com. So this week, I thought it would be appropriate and also fun to focus on Christmas. After all, it's only two days away. And as I considered who to ask on the show, I thought it would make sense to bring on someone whose work revolves at least in part around Christmas and who somehow touches the lives of children who help us all enjoy the magic of the season even more. And so I thought, hey, how about if I try to find a children's book author who also writes about Christmas? And ta-da, I found Brandy Doherty, who is the author of the New York Times best-selling picture book, The Littlest Pilgrim, as well as four of the littlest tales, including The Littlest Christmas Star. She has also written three middle-grade novels, a Pixar picture book, and partnered with celebrity chef Giada De Laurentiis to write four books in the Recipe for Adventure series. Brandy lives and writes in Los Angeles, and when she's not cooking up new stories, she's spending time with her husband, Joe, their new baby boy, Oslo, and their dog, Jerome. She joins us today from Los Angeles. Brandy, Merry Christmas, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Um, Before I get into the actual questions about you and your life and your career, what you do as a writer, you know I want to kick us off right with a little bit of fun. As I told you, I have a 12-year-old daughter, and I have spent many, many years of my life reading her books and loved all of that. And what I've learned over the years is that everybody loves to be read to. So will you just start us off by maybe reading a little bit from The Littlest Elf for us? Absolutely. I'd love to. The Littlest Elf. Oliver was an elf. He lived with his family in the North Pole. There were many elves in Santa's village, but Oliver was the littlest one. It was Christmas time, and Oliver was excited. This year, he would discover his special job at one of Santa's workshops. He just needed to visit each shop to see which one was the right fit. At the toy workshop, where his mom works, Oliver tried to make cuddly teddy bears, but he got lost in the huge stuffing pile. Oliver, an elf asked. Oliver's mom said, I think you're too little for the toy workshop. Why don't you try helping your dad at the bicycle workshop instead? So Oliver went to Santa's bicycle workshop. I'm ready to help, he said. Oliver watched as the elves added wheels and seats and handlebars and bells. 
but the tools were very big for Oliver's little hands. Maybe baking is your special job, Oliver's dad told him. You should visit your brother at the bakery next. Off Oliver went to the bakery. These elves made sugar plum cookies and candy cane squares. But when Oliver tried to stir the cookie dough, Oliver, look out, one of the elves shouted. He fell into a giant mixing bowl. Sorry, Ollie, his brother said. You're too little for the bakery. Maybe your special job is at the bookmaker's shop. Oliver arrived at the last of Santa's workshops where his sister worked. The bookmakers there wrote amazing stories and drew wonderful pictures. Can I help, Oliver asked. Of course, the elves replied. But the ink pot was kind of tough to reach, and the stack of paper was very tall. Oh, Ollie, his sister cried. Bookmaking was harder and messier than it looked. Oliver wandered through the North Pole. He was sad. Oliver knew there had to be one special job he could do, even if he was little. Then he heard the sound of hooves clattering at the stables. Inside, a herd of reindeer had gathered to meet Dot, the new reindeer. She was little, just like Oliver. Dot was very excited to help fly Santa's sleigh. She practiced for the big night by jumping and hopping and leaping, but she could not fly. The reindeer's mama gave her a gentle kiss. Dot was still too little. Dot looked very sad. Oliver wanted to help cheer her up. He dug in his pockets to find a treat for Dot, but instead he found little trinkets from each workshop he had visited. Just then, he had an idea. I'll leave it at that. Oh, Brandy, thank you. What a wonderful story. Oh, my gosh, that does bring back so many wonderful memories for me. And all the years, as I said, I've, I've read to my daughter, who's now 12, and reads to me, usually. Um, but thank you for letting us start like that. That was just lovely. Thank you. Absolutely. Happy to share. Well, a couple questions, if we can, really quick about that book. First, when did it come out? What's, what was the year it was published? It came out in 2012. Okay, so somewhat new. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I have to also ask you, you know, I, I know you have a few Christmas-oriented books out, which is part of the reason I wanted to have you on the show. Um, but what is it about this holiday for you? What does it mean to you? Do you have some maybe some memories around it? Or what is it about Christmas for you? I've always loved Christmas. It's always been a really special time for me and my family. Um, and also my birthday is actually Christmas Eve. Mm. So that has kind of tied into it being extra special. Um, one of my great memories from childhood is my parents always really tried hard to make my birthday separate from Christmas and special in its own, which was really, really sweet of them. So I would always get my own miniature Christmas tree that I got to decorate and have in my room as my birthday tree. So that was always really fun and such a cute way to separate the two holidays. Mm. You know, you just reminded me of Brandy. And part of the reason, again, I really wanted this show to be more celebratory in nature than maybe some of my other shows, just because I do want people to enjoy the holidays, but also because your work is also connected to it. But you've reminded me that my dear, um, if I can call him my big baby brother, who's nine years younger than me, his birthday is Christmas Day. And so that... Yeah, so that governed that we opened our presents on Christmas Eve, just like you said, to separate the two occasions. So lovely memory for me, too. Yeah. Yeah. Really nice. Do you you have siblings? 
I do. I have an older sister. Okay. Okay. Um, well, I don't know if this will come up around that, but one of the things that you said to me as we were getting ready to, to broadcast this show is you told me that The Littlest Christmas Star was written in part due to your memory of your first, your first grade when you, were, when you were in a Christmas play. Um, I think it's one remarkable. You can remember first grade. I can somewhat remember that. But what was that experience? Tell us about this. Where did this come from? Well, it definitely, the memory was sparked by looking at old photos. Um, but I do remember I was painfully shy as a kid. So being in a play and being on stage was a really big deal for me. Um, but my another memory around that was my mom worked to make that a special time, too. She, I, The photo of me is in this green velvet skirt and matching vest that my mom had made, especially for me to wear for this Christmas show. So that was really special. Um, but the photo of me, I'm in a star costume because I'm one of the stars in the night sky in the play who's wondering if um, I will be the one to lead Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. So that was my role in the play. And looking at these old photos of me in this costume made me think how funny it would be to write a story about a kid who wants to be the star of a show but ends up being the actual star, just like I was. <laughs> That's <laughs> wonderful. That is so wonderful. I didn't make that connection at all. That is wonderful. Um, what, well, one of the other things that you told me, which I think is remarkable, and remember this joyously as well, again, one, wonderful that I, well, first I wanted to find somebody who was somehow connected to children with their work because of the holiday season. And I, of course, know that you have a baby, a new baby boy named Oslo. So how old is he? Yes, he's five months old, so he's uh, he's amazing. Um, I think, you know, the sleep deprivation is very real, but we're, <laughs> yes, we're loving every minute of it, um, and he just, he has a smile that lights up our entire house, so it's been really fun, um, so yeah, and super fun to be, you know, celebrating Christmas with him for his first Christmas. Mm-hmm. Your very first Christmas with a child. How fun is that? Yeah, it's it's really exciting. You know, I remember Brandy when my my daughter was, and she's probably gonna you know slay me at some point because I mention her on the show every once in a while. But hopefully, these are all good memories for her too. But I remember when she would have been like I don't know three or four, I think. And we were in the mall here in uh, North Park Mall here in Dallas, and um, she happened to catch a glimpse of Santa Claus there in the in the mall. And um, I wondered kind of what was going on. And all of a sudden, she breaks away from me, makes a mad dash for Santa Claus, runs up to him past this really long line of people waiting for their turn to visit Santa Claus. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, it's going to be a revolt. I'm going to be in big trouble here. Oh, my gosh. Runs up to him, wraps her arms around him as best she can. He's got a you know big requisite big belly. And she, and, and she says, baby, like she thinks there's a baby in Santa Claus's belly. And thanks, much to my relief, everybody in line started cracking up laughing. And there was no revolt. I was I was safe. And once she got her hug and, you know, thought maybe there was a baby in there, she was on her way. But um, such a fun memory of this, you know, the children just make holidays so entirely different, right? And that's one of the reasons, again, that I wanted to have you and your work on the show, showcase your work on the show, because we were at the end of the year, it's Christmas time, and I wanted it to be festive and fun. So I appreciate that you're telling me about your work, your life, and kind of what spawned you to write about Christmas and children. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely just seeing the wonder and excitement with kids around this time is so special and fun. Mm-hmm. Well, how was it that you decided to write? And let me ask you this. You know, I don't know enough about you yet. You, I'm just getting to know you as well. But um, did you go to school or did you study writing? Did you study journalism? Or did you know you wanted to be a writer? And did you know it was going to be children's books? I did not know. Um, I, I did study English. I was an English major in college, and I always loved to write. Um, and I did enjoy making stories, even from a very young age. But I didn't really actually think about officially writing um, children's books until I worked for Scholastic, the publishing company in New York City. Um, my job there was to work for the reading clubs, and I chose books for the middle grade club, um, which is, you know, the catalog where, where teachers can have their students order books through them and they get, um, you know, they get extra supplies and books for the classroom. And it's a really great program for teachers and a really wonderful way for kids to get books more easily and more accessibly. Um, so it was amazing to be a part of that. And I think the biggest piece of my job that I, you know, the, my favorite part was being connected to that experience of kids receiving books in their classroom. And that was always such an amazing experience to, to know that I was connected in that way. And so it, that's really what spurred me to, to want to be a part of getting new stories to them as well. Mm. Well, so, you know, I have to ask, maybe you don't know this, but one of the things that I do in my spare time is I'm a meaning in work researcher. So I really care about why people choose the work that they choose and what does it mean to them? What does it mean to who they are as a human being? Um, what do they derive satisfaction from? So what is what does your work mean to you? You're an author. You've gotten I, the, the breadth of things that you've done is wonderful. And I definitely want to talk about all those things while we're on the show. But what does your work mean to you? I think it's really just being able to connect with kids in, you know, reading is such a special, important thing. And I think the most rewarding thing has been to, to receive letters from, from students who've read my books. And, and a, few, a few girls have even said, you know, your book is the first book that I ever finished reading. And it made me want to read other books. And I can't think of anything better than that, to, to know that I played a role in helping a child find a love for reading and, and want to do more of it. Like, that's, that's the ultimate goal. Mm. And is there any kind of message that you're trying to impart at all, Brandy? Is there anything in there that you're trying to make sure that gets across to kids? But I think especially for the, the older books that I write, you know, I, I write a lot about school and family and friendship and just really, you know, hoping that I'm giving a message of confidence, especially to girls and, and, um, and hopefully just kind of a good feeling in general that people can kind of, you know, whether they recognize it or not, hopefully it's, it's even more subtle than that, but just bringing something nice to, to that experience and, and hopefully a little nugget of something that you carry forward in their lives. Mm. Of course, you know, I love that. I'm, I am all about personal and professional development. So of course I love that. And I love the idea that you are trying to instill confidence and good sentiment 
Um, I just have to say, um, one of the books that I, I just absolutely love and looking at my bookshelf right now, and I don't know if you've ever heard of it before, but it's called Stand Tall, Molly Lou Mellon. And, oh, you know, I'm almost 50 years old, Brandy. I still read that book on, on once in a while. I'm, I drag my daughter in and make her listen to me as I read it. And I just love it because it does have such a wonderful message. The pictures are fantastic. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't think that any of us are ever too old to read picture books, if that's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. I fully agree. <laughs> Um, well, I, I have to also know, and I don't know if you're, if you're able to speak to this just yet because you're, you're a new mom. You've, you've got a, a five-month-old, but has your approach or perspective about how you write changed since, since you become a mom? I think it will, definitely. I think that, you know, now more than ever, I want to write stories that really capture kids' imaginations and make them interested in reading. Like, I really want Oslo to be a child that loves books and loves to read. Um, So if I'm able to write something that he especially is interested in reading over and over again, then I'll know that I've made it. Oh, for sure, for sure. And um, and when we hear our children read back to us, right, isn't that a wonderful thing? When you get to be able to actually hear that with Oslo, it'll be so fun to hear him speak the words from a book to you. I just, I love that myself, Yeah. I can't um, wait I, for that. Yeah. Oh, and I think the other I, goal, too, is also to read, to write something that parents don't mind reading a million times, because I know that that's, that'll be part of the journey, too, is not getting tired of the books he wants to hear over and over. So hopefully I can write something that parents are happy to continue to read. Mm, you know, that is such a good point. Uh, I can tell you that I, I reluctantly gave up Gabby's books, my daughter, uh, when she needed to move on to higher levels. But some of, many of them I couldn't give up away. My, my husband actually calls me a pack rat and um, actually got rid of several of them, ch- uh, resold them through half-price books while I was away. So I, some of them I actually repurchased, Brandy, because I loved them that much. So I think you're probably going to be in good shape. <laughs> yes. Um, Well, if you can believe it, it's already time for our first break. Time flies so fast, so hang on just a moment here. It's time for us to take a short break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Brandy Doherty, who is the author of the New York Times bestselling picture book called The Littlest Pilgrim, as well as four other littlest tales, including The Littlest Elf, which she was reading from. Along with many other notable accomplishments in her writing career, she and her husband, Joe, are also new parents enjoying their first Christmas with her son, Oslo. We've been talking a little bit about how it was that she's gotten started, what she finds meaningful in her work. After the break, I want to hear a bit more about how it is that she processes her work. How does she actually actually find time to work on her books? And I also want to have her read a bit more from one of her other tales. Stay with us. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. 
Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. If you're just joining us, my guest is Brandy Doherty, who has written five Littlest Tales books, including The Littlest Christmas Star, three middle grade level uh, novels, a picture excuse me, a Pixar picture book, and partnered with celebrity chef Gianda De Laurentiis to write four books in the Recipe for Adventure series. She joins us today from Los Angeles, California. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Let's pick up where we left off. Um, we were just about ready to talk about really the process that you go through, Brandy, when you write. I think that's obviously very, very interesting for a lot of us who wonder just what goes into a book. How do you pull this off? So what's your writing process? Yeah, when I, you know, when I start I always keep a notebook with me. Um, sometimes I have a full-size notebook that I'm also journaling in, and other times just like a little pocket notebook that that fits where you know in a pocket or in a purse. And anytime an idea strikes me, I always try to write it down. And I find that writing it, actually handwriting it, kind of makes it stick somehow a little better. Um, of course, then I usually do go home and transcribe my notes onto my computer, and I do work from my computer, but I just love something about handwriting things initially. And really, once I start with an idea, if it's a picture book idea, I really just try to kind of get a sense of what my story arc is going to be, and I just start to try to envision what um, what the flow of each page might look like, what some illustration moments might be, and just kind of really envision it in my head and try to write it out in that way where I've kind of got it, got each page flowing how I want it to. Um, and then the key is to revise and revise and revise a million times. <laughs> and that's, that's really the, the key to any writing is to continue to rework it and you really don't ever feel like you're done doing that, but I think you finally eventually get to a place where you feel comfortable enough. Um, and then with my with my middle grade books, um, my longer chapter books and middle grade novels, I like to start with a really detailed outline of the plot and the characters and to really have a strong sense of the whole world of my story before I even begin. Um and then I usually do write a very specific outline chapter by chapter. So, and, and this is something that talking to other writer friends, everybody's process is different. Some people just start on page one and just start writing and see where it takes them. Um, I like to have an idea of where it's going to go first. And of course it usually does change 
as I'm writing, but I like to have that kind of map blueprint to work from from the start, and that works really well for me. Mm. I'm glad I asked that question, you know, partly because one, I'm just hopelessly curious, and I think our listeners are too, as to how, what is the creation process? And you're right, I'm sure it's different for everybody. But I have to say one thing that you have, um, I, I don't know, I guess kind of awoken in me is that for me, when I write, I, I have not written stories or fiction. Um, I write uh, research-oriented things, obviously. But I will tell you, though, for me, my best writing, if I look at the best works I've ever produced, they always started with me st- jotting down my thoughts and my outline using a pencil on a piece of paper for two reasons. Mm -hmm. One, right, there was the mechanical process of writing the words, and I had to slow down, slow my thoughts down to actually write. And then there was the feedback, the sound of the pencil going across the page that I found very stimulating. So the fact that you seem to also start like that is maybe encouraging. Maybe I could write like you one day. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I think there is something really important about that connection that gets lost a lot of times. And when you are working, you know, I do write notes on my phone sometimes, but I I feel like for whatever reason, I tend to forget those. And I'll come back months later and be like, oh, yeah, I forgot I even wrote that down. And so there is something about making that connection that feels very important. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, going back up to uh, some of your books here, one of the things that obviously stands out to me, too, is that you've written several books that are their littlest books. I think we, there are five of them in total. So what's the story and the focus on littlest, Brandy? Well, as I mentioned, I have an older sister. Um, she's five years older than me, which is not any difference now. We're best friends as adults, but as children, it was a huge difference, and I just desperately wanted to be doing everything she was doing and and wanting her attention all the time, and it was really difficult because she, you know, in that five years, she was on another planet, basically, with where she wanted to be. So uh, one of the first stories that I ever wrote was in second grade, and it was about having an older sister who got to do things that I didn't get to do because I was little. So that always just kind of stuck with me, and when I started thinking about some picture book story ideas, that was one of the first things I thought of, and I thought it would be really fun to kind of tie it to these sweet holiday characters who are desperate to help and and be a part of the world that they're in and, you know, find something special to do even though they're little. I think, you know, I, I will confess to you that part of my interest in bringing you on as, as an author was partly because that you write, you have some books out that have that littlest aspect to it because I could relate to that as well. I was, I'm the oldest of four uh, children, but I was always the shortest kid in class, Brandy, always like, you know, back in the day, they would line everybody up according to height. So I was always at the very, very end, the shortest end. And there was always these, you know, this ongoing series of much taller people toward onward. And so I would wear shirts that said things like, good things come in small packages. (laughs) Um, So I was certainly attracted to and interested in the idea that you write about Littlest because I could relate to that. It's lovely. That's great. Yeah, I really hope that kids find something in that, whether it's because they're small for their age or having older siblings or whatever it is. That's great. 
Yeah, I did eventually sprout up quite a bit, so I'm not considered short anymore. I'm considered more in the middle tier, but um, almost all of my life until I was probably in eighth grade, I was considered the shortest kid in class. So lots of memories to produce around littlest for me. That's great. Um, (laughs) So the next thing I wanted to hear about, I'm really intrigued as well, is how it was that you got the opportunity to write the Pixar picture book. I mean, that sounds really fun, really, really exciting and amazing. Tell us about that situation, that experience. What was it like and how did it come to be? Yeah, that was really fun. Um, I've definitely been very fortunate to have a lot of friends in the publishing world because of my time at Scholastic. And when I first moved from New York to California, I did a lot of freelance work for Disney, who owns the Pixar studio. Um, And I also have an amazing literary agent who's great at helping me networking and connect me with new projects. So the Pixar book came about through a connection of mine to a great editor at Pixar. And then it, it came to fruition with the help of my agent. So it was a really a good collaboration there. And and what's Um, the essence of it, Brandy? What was, what is this Pixar book about? So it's for the new movie, The Good Dinosaur, which which came out um, right before Thanksgiving. And um, it's a book that introduces the two main characters of the movie, Arlo and Spot. And it's a story of, it showcases their friendship and their, their survival skills in the wild. Um, so, yeah, it was super fun to do. I was able to spend some time on the Pixar campus, which is incredibly inspiring and creative and I got to see a couple of early versions of the film in production and so it was a really fun experience. Mm-hmm. I, I love hearing people talk so fondly and wonderfully about their work because that's what I'm focused on, right? I care about how people connect to their work and what it means to them and if it's fulfilling, et cetera, et cetera. So that was one of those things when I saw that as part of what you had done. I was like, I have to ask her about that. That sounds really amazing. And I can only imagine hopelessly inspiring to be over there on that campus. Absolutely. Yeah. So many creative people in one place. Hmm. Um, well, speaking of that, I mean, one of the things I wanted to do as well, as I mentioned, is really make this a celebratory show. And in addition to talking, learning about you, but also just getting kind of, you know, the old fashioned, get around around the, the radio and learn and listen and, and have fun. So to that end, will you read also maybe something from The Littlest Christmas Star? Sure, I'd be happy to. The Littlest Christmas Star. One snowy afternoon, Max's teacher announced his class would put on a Christmas play. Everyone was excited, especially Max. Max couldn't wait to have a part. Even though he was the littlest student in his class, Max hoped he could be the star of the show. I will announce your roles tomorrow morning, the teacher said. The next morning, Max's teacher called out the role each student would play. Max waited and squirmed and waited and squirmed. And finally, Max, the teacher said, you will be the star. Max's eyes grew wide. He smiled a big, big smile. He really was the star of the show. You will be the star of Bethlehem. Your line will be, follow me. Max sank down in his chair. I only have one line, he asked. Yes, Max, but it's a very important line, said his teacher. Everyone in the class was jumping around and buzzing with excitement. I have ten lines, said Sophie. I get to paint the set, said Max's friend Henry. But Max did not jump around. He was sad. 
He wanted to have a big part in the play, but instead he had the littlest one. The next week at school, the class prepared for the show. There were costumes to make and lines to learn and songs to practice. Max didn't know what to do. He had his one line memorized already. Maybe, Max decided, he could help out with the other parts, too. Max began to practice the part of Mary. He worked on making his voice as big and loud as he could. Hey, that's my part, said Sophie. Max wandered to where the set was being painted. He dabbed a brush in purple paint and began to paint a tree. He wanted the trees to stand out on stage. I'm the set painter, Henry told him, and trees aren't purple anyway. Max walked into the hall where the chorus was practicing their songs. He sang at the top of his lungs, even though he didn't know the words. Ava pointed at Max. You're not in the chorus. Max, you're supposed to be practicing your part, his teacher interrupted. But I know it already, Max replied. I bet a little more practice wouldn't hurt, she said. We need you to be the best Christmas star you can be. Finally, the night of the Christmas play arrived. Max's family sat smiling in the audience, ready to see his performance. Max was not smiling. No one will even notice me, he told his teacher. Of course they will, Max, his teacher said. You'll see. I'll stop there. (laughs) I love that. So I don't know about our listeners out there, but I could just sit there and let you go on and on. And I I just really, that's what I wanted to accomplish on the show was that feeling of being read to. There's just something about it that just draws you in. And I'll tell you for me, Brandy, I remember so distinctly um, years ago when my daughter was probably, oh gosh, she must've been like three or so. And I was taking shot therapy for my allergies here in Dallas. And so, you know, I had to go like a couple of times every week and I did pack her up and bring me with, bring her with me. And so I would, you know, I had to be there for 20 minutes afterwards. So I would bring one or two of her picture books with me and, you know, to keep her kind of quiet, I would read to her. And invariably there were people there waiting as well for their 20 minutes to go up after they'd gotten their shot. And they would all do the same thing, right? They would lean in. And some of them would ask me afterwards, what's the name of that book? I'll just get it for myself. I don't have kids, but I'm, I want the book. <laughs> so there's something about that. that. Yeah, you know, there is. It's just something about being read to that is so glorious. So I, I appreciate that you indulged me. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned earlier, but again, since this, this uh, episode is meant to be celebratory in nature, in nature, any other sort of memories that you have or favorite Christmas pastimes that you do? Well, we always baked a ton of Christmas cookies, which is something that I've carried on in my adult life. You can't ever have too many cookies, but my mom would make a huge batch of sugar cookie dough, and we had a bunch of cookie cutters and Christmas shapes, and we'd spend the whole day baking cookies and frosting them and decorating them, and that's always been something fun that I've loved. Um And I also grew up in Montana, so we, you know, going out to find our Christmas tree meant going out in the woods. My dad would bring his axe, and we would spend the day and decide which tree we wanted and cut it down and bring it home. And that was always a great, fun pastime that we did every Christmas. And certainly it's very different here in L.A., finding a Christmas tree, but I still do love that tradition of getting a tree and decorating every year. And do you still get a fresh tree? 
we don't go out and cut our own, but um, we just actually moved to L.A. from San Francisco this year, so I haven't um, haven't scoped the whole Christmas tree scene as much as I should, but I think once Oslo's a little older, we'll try to find some more fun ways to go get a tree. There's certainly, you know, plenty of, of great areas around here, so... Mm-hmm. And I live here in Dallas now, obviously, so we don't have a lot. There are places you can do that down here in Dallas as well, believe it or not, if you go out further um, past the suburbs. But we did used to do that when we lived in Seattle, Washington. It was a lovely pastime. So, again, I wanted to bring up those kinds of things that would help our listeners connect also with their memories of things that they find cherished and, and, and lovely about how they remembered those years um, maybe early on with their family or maybe maybe very distantly. So um, that's part of what I wanted to kind of seed with that. So thank you for also sharing that, too. I have some memories myself. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, time for another quick break here. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Brandy Doherty, who is the author of the New York Times bestselling picture book called The Littlest Pilgrim, as well as four other littlest tales, including The Littlest Self. Along with many other notable accomplishments in her writing career, she and her husband, Joe, are also new parents enjoying their first Christmas with their son, Oslo. After the break, we'll hear a bit more about um, one of her other endeavors that she's had here, writing and working with Giada De Laurentiis. Stay with us. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at VoiceAmericaTRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN or follow along with us at VoiceAmericaTRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. If you're just joining us, my guest is Brandy Doherty, who has written five Littlest Tales books, including The Littlest Christmas Star, three middle-grade novels, a Pixar picture book, 
and partnered with celebrity chef Giada De Laurentiis to write four books in the Recipe for Adventure series. She joins us today from Los Angeles, California. We had her read a couple, uh, a couple of times here from two of her books, and she's been talking about her own connection to her work and how she writes. Next, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about your collaboration with that celebrity chef, Giada De Laurentiis. Um, first, how did you meet her, and what's that about? What's the connection there? So my agent um, was connected with Giada's children's book publisher, so um, they were looking for someone to pick up the the second set of books in her series, and um, everyone thought that we would be a great fit, so it came about um, through that connection through my agent and her editor, and, and it was a, a super fun process. And so, so four books, the recipe for adventure series. I haven't yet picked this up. I will because my daughter is an aspiring budding chef herself. Um, in fact, you know, the reason that she likes to cook, it might be interesting to, to note is that she is very interested in helping people connect back to their earlier memories based on their sense, which I think is pretty remarkable for a 12 year old to conceptualize. Um, wow, so- yeah. Isn't that cool? I mean, I'm just very proud of her, but I think that's really cool. That's one of the things that she's aspiring to do in her work. Um, so what's the series about? I mean, are these recipe books or is there stories in there or what are they like? So they're a great mix because they are, um, they are fiction stories. They're chapter books and they follow a brother and sister who, um, who like to cook with their great aunt who comes to stay with them. And some of her recipes actually turn out to be magical and transport them to different cities. So um, each book is set in a different city where the kids go and have a adventure where they meet other kids their age and they learn about the local food and culture in that place. So it's a lot of fun. Um, and then each book also has two recipes at the back that relate to the food that the kids learned about in the story. Oh, I love it. I'm totally getting these things. Is there a certain age range that you're trying to appeal to? They are, um, I would say they're a little bit younger than your daughter, probably more in the like seven to 10 year old range. Okay. But I think because, you know, there's, each book, because it's based in a different city, there's lots to learn about um, geography and culture and food. So I, I think there's a lot that's really appealing for them for a wide range. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'm totally down with it. Even if it's a little bit younger um, genre for my daughter, she will love it and I will too. So I'm, I'm totally going to pick those up. Um, and, and since you've, you're partnered with the chef, do, do you like to cook? Is this part of what you like to do? You mentioned making cookies, Christmas cookies, but are you a person who likes to cook too? I I like the idea of cooking. I'm definitely <laughs> getting better at it. <laughs> um, but that was one thing that was really fun, you know, working on these stories. I went back and watched a lot of Giada's cooking shows and and spent a lot of time looking at her recipes. And so I made a lot of, of her recipes, too, just to get get in that mode. And so that has inspired me to, to work on my cooking skills a bit more. And that's been a lot of fun. Mm. You know, I have to say, um, for me, there's so much that ha- that I'm sitting here thinking about as I think about the world of cooking and what happens in the kitchen. What does that mean to relationships and connections and even Christmas? And I have to, I want to share something with you really quick about my grandmother and a cooking or a cookie. 
um, adventure that I had that maybe is pertinent to all this. But I can tell you that part of my daughter's connection to cooking, I know, has happened because when we're in the kitchen together, she asked me to tell stories about, you know, what was it like when you were a kid? And so I told her this story, and she's never forgotten it. So it goes like this. Um, I was probably in... mm, I don't know, third or fourth grade. And my mother had told my dear, lovely grandmother that I'd started making cookies and she was pretty proud of me. And um, I thought that was great. So when I was there visiting my grandma one summer, she mentioned, your mom tells me that you make pretty good cookies. And I sat up straight very proudly and I said, I do make good cookies. And would you like me to make you some? And of course, I'm sure she was thinking to herself, yes, anything to keep you busy, please go make some cookies. So I set off into the kitchen to make these chocolate chip cookies, and I made all the dough and got the first um, batch into the oven, and I looked around her kitchen brandy, and I had completely destroyed it. I mean, there was flour everywhere. There was butter underneath the cabinets. There was stuff on the floor, and I was horrified because my, my grandmother was a fantastic baker and was very clean in her kitchen and always kept things just so. So I set out in a frenzy to clean up the big mess that I made. Well, all of a sudden, I got this strange little scent that I was, hmm, something seems odd. And all of a sudden, my grandmother from across the room says, are the cookies ready? And I, at that moment, went, oh, my gosh, the cookies are in the oven still. And that horrible feeling went over me like, oh, my God, I burned the cookies. And so I opened the oven door, and I kid you not, Brandy, I mean, this waft of smoke comes billowing out of the oven. and And my heart sank to the bottom of my gut. And my grandmother and her sweet little voice call from across the room, bring me one, dear, let me try one. So I'm, you know, just in all dread. I take this, you know, literally smoking um, um, pan across the room. It's literally smoking as I'm walking along. And my sweet little dear grandmother takes her delicate little hands and she takes one of these, you know, smoke-laced cookies and puts it to her lips and says, that's the best cookie I've ever had. And at that, point, I, at that point, I was like, you know, victorious. Like, I am a good cookie maker. I knew I was. I am. And I have told that story so many years, so many times over the years. And the idea is, is that, you know, how important it is to have that encouragement. And what does it mean to be in the kitchen with your loved ones? And so, um, you know, when you talk about cooking and kids, that's what comes to my mind. So it was really important to me. And here I am. It still makes me cry when, it, when I hear that my, myself tell that story and tell to somebody else. It still gives me a tear. So it matters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I loved being a part of a series that was about families coming together to cook. Every, every book in the series has the family cooking together. And then when they go to a city, they're cooking with a new family. And I think that's probably my favorite Christmas tradition is just bringing family together and making a big meal and sitting down with everyone. It's so important. Mm, it really is. And um, my, my mother-in-law is also a chef, so she's also cooking with my daughter all the time and making memories and stuff. And there, it's, things are always festive, so I think there's something to that is probably part of the reason that she wants to be a chef too. So hopefully she'll keep it up. We'll see. Yeah, that's great. Well, beyond kids, and I'm intrigued to hear a little bit more about those those three middle-grade novels that you mentioned um, so obviously you don't write just for children. You're also writing for younger adults, if you will. So what's one first, what's the age range that, that those are intended for? And can you tell us a little bit about those books? Yeah, so those books are um, generally for kids around 10 to 13 years old, so a little bit above the chapter book age. Um, and I've written a couple of 
friendship novels, um, and then a novel that has a bit of a spooky magic element to it called Misfortune. And those are, those all feature kind of strong girl characters, you know, navigating friendships and a little bit of boys and, um, and family stuff. So I've, I've always really enjoyed writing at that age level too. I think ultimately, I think my inner voice is probably close to a 10 year old girl. I remember that time so vividly and that's just such a transitional age where, you know, there's just, you're getting a lot of independence and, and there's a lot more happening in school. And so I think that that writing for that age has always been a really a sweet spot for me. And so you mentioned it's a whole different process, right? So these are these are full chapter books that you have to plan out and plan your characters and everything else. It sounds like it's well, it must be much more intense than than the picture books. Is that true, or maybe it's not true? I find it to be. I think. I mean, writing picture books is also can be intense because you need to tell a story with so few words and that can be equally as hard. Um, but I think, you know, building out a world with, with such well-defined characters, you have to, you know, kind of think of them as real people with real defined personalities and kind of envision them walking around in the world, having experiences so that you make sure that your characters aren't one-dimensional and do have that kind of fully developed appeal to them. So there's a lot, I think there's a lot that goes into that for sure. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because you're right, you know, when you think about the picture books, I mean, so much of the book, I mean, it is definitely the words and the story for sure, but the picture does certainly add. And, you know, I have to ask along those lines, I didn't ask you this before, but it looks like you've at least illustrated with a couple of your books with Kirsten Richards. How did you find her, and how did how how did you collaborate together? So that was really through the through my editor at the publishing house. Um, I you know was really lucky to work really closely with my editor, but ultimately the illustrator choice is up to them. So, I mean, I I think her art is absolutely perfect and super sweet. So I. I wasn't at all disappointed not being able to choose that person because she's exactly who I would have chosen. So, um, so yeah, it's, you know, I, I got to see some early sketches through my editor and, and that was really fun to kind of see the characters and the colors and, and everything evolve as the art was finished. But, yeah, I think the illustrations are just the sweetest thing ever. They are wonderful. And, you know, that does make me think, though, um, how does it work? I mean, do you write this story and then the pictures come after? Or is it a collaboration throughout? Or how does it work? Yeah, it's interesting because, uh, you know, it, and again, this is something that's different for all authors and illustrators. Some of them do work really closely together. Um, a lot of times they are chosen separately. So I I didn't have a very collaborative process. It was I wrote the story and then... Um, and then the illustrator would take the finished story and and do the art after. Um, but I think you know, just finding the right person to connect and and someone who who really connects with the story and and finds it appealing, then their art is going to carry that through, and you're going to feel that connection, even if there wasn't a lot of collaboration involved in the process. Hmm. 
it seems like such an important synergistic partnership. And I will confess that I've certainly hoped that at some point my daughter and I could do something like that for the longest time. She was very interested in art. Not as much as she, she's not so much now as she used to. So I don't know if this was ever going to go on, but certainly have talked about the the prospect of um, writing a book together and that she would certainly do the illustrations. Are we crazy or does that actually happen with parents and children? I think it can. I mean, absolutely anything is possible. And I know that there are plenty of people who, who come to a publisher with that collaboration already you know, kind of as a package deal. And I think there's something really special about that, too, because people can see how well thought out it was as a whole project. So, yeah, I think there's something really nice about that. Hmm. Well, we'll see if it happens. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, let me, keep me posted. Okay. One of those things that's always been on, on, my, on my list, so we'll see. Uh, well, we're coming to the close of the program already. We've only got a few minutes left here, so I have two more questions for you if I can, Brandy. Um, so this program is really about the world of work, how people can more meaningfully connect with it. And so I would love to hear your thoughts about, you know, what would you like to share with listeners regarding work today? So the show is called Working on Purpose. The idea is to get people to more meaningfully connect to their purpose or do their work in a more purposeful way, however it suits them. So how would you comment to our listeners about work and how you connect to it? Well, I think being able to find a job that you love and that brings you more than just a paycheck is a really wonderful thing. And I definitely feel very lucky to have found that. Um, It's certainly very difficult sometimes to make a living doing what you love. And, you know, I'm also lucky because my husband's work supports us in a way that allows me to focus on writing. If I were supporting myself entirely on my own, then I would have to have another job. Um, But I really loved working in the publishing world, so I think that I would absolutely return to that because it keeps me close to books and writing and, um, and doing what I love. So I think even if you can't necessarily make a living, even at least right away, doing what you're passionate about, it's important to try to get as close to that as you can in many ways. Um, I think finding work that fits with your passion or that allows you the free time to do what you love is really important. So even if it's finding a boss or a work environment that encourages you to pursue what you're interested in or, you know, to take classes or whatever it may be, um, I think that's, that's really significant and you know, I, I have such a supportive community of people at Scholastic who really um, encouraged me to write. And I don't think, if I hadn't had that, I don't think I would have had the courage to to become a full-time writer. So I think that's the other piece that's really important is to surround yourself with supportive people that believe in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Great advice. Completely agree, of course. Um, and, and finally, in maybe, say, 30 seconds or so, or maybe a minute, um, what Christmas wish would you like to leave our listeners with today? We're two days away from Christmas. What would you like them to send them off with? I really, I think, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of awful things going on in the world these days, and a lot of fear, and a lot of people misplaced, you know, displaced from their homes. And so I think my Christmas wish is really that everyone gives and receives as much compassion and tolerance as they possibly can. 
I think that is a wonderful Christmas wish, Brandy. Thank you. And let me also say I've certainly enjoyed very much celebrating Christmas with you. It's been wonderful to have you on the show, Brandy. Thank you for taking time away and for reading and celebrating with us. It's been great to have you. Thank you for having me. I've had a really wonderful time. I'm so glad I found you and that you said yes. So um, if you want to learn more about Brandy Doherty, and I hope that you will, please do check out her website at www.brandydoherty.com. Let me spell that. B-R-A-N-D-I-D-O-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y.com, brandydoherty.com. You can find her works on Amazon as well. I hope that you will consider picking up a book or two. Um, this has been wonderful to be able to hear her work. Um, so I, hope to look to, I look forward to seeing you next week. And, and don't forget, we've been talking about work and the holidays, but work is at least one-third of our lives. So let's work on purpose, and happy holidays. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.